The scripture for our sermon uh, comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The word of God speaks to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This is God's word to us. Well, good morning. Good morning, church. My name is Chad, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we just get to kind of step into this this moment in which our text is full of excitement, it's full of like urgency. The text itself is speaking to something, and I, and I don't want to come up here as hype man. I actually just want to sit and, and live in this text and do some work here uh, on what it's talking about, what it means for us, the ways that we get distracted and, and off course in that, and really fight for standing in identity. We live in a world in which our identity gets just pressed in all sorts of ways, uh, either pressed or beat up or, or, or just confused around us, and yet the Bible speaks something specific. And so I want to spend our time this morning, I, I want to name what biblical identity is. I want to do some work around where we find ourselves looking to other things to find our identity. We, we, we go up this and why that will always fail us. And then the, this third turn is just like how God invites you and I to a better story. And, and so just hear me in it say, what are we talking about when we say identity? Where are the places that we try to find that and, and why those other places will fail us? And then how God invites us to, to a bigger and better story. How, how does that play out in our lives? It's a, a simple way of going about that. And so here's what I'd ask. Would you, I, I want you to pray for me and I want to pray for our time and simply ask God to meet us. So, uh, Father, we, we actually need to hear from you today. We need your heart today. We need the heart of the Father today. We need to, to see the work of Jesus today. We need to experience the work of Jesus today, and we need your Holy Spirit to, to fill and to do what I cannot do, what no one else could do, which is actually work on hearts. And so God, come, come. Speak clearly. Convict, convict us of the areas in which we, we fall short. And God, bring hope today. Hope. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in 1 John. And we're just going to do work here in these verses and look outside a little bit. But here, catch this. This 1 John is, is John the disciple, John the apostle, John beloved of Jesus. Here's John. As an old-timer, John is, 
is, this is the end of John's life where he's writing these things. And we need to catch that because John's not describing a, a far-off brush with a celebrity. He's not describing some like, hey, I had this encounter years ago. John's actually describing the current state of reality in his life. It's been years since he walked with Jesus in the flesh. It's been years since he had this encounter and this, this life-changing moment. And, and John is describing the current state of reality in his life. And it's like he's sitting there. And it's like he's writing this down. He's like, come, come quickly and see, look, listen, because this is amazing. You can't imagine what I have to tell you. That's what's happening right here. It's the living God of all creation calls. Here's what he's saying. Is those who have put their faith in Jesus, God calls them his very own. Children of God. And here's where we get that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, just as crystal clear as we can make it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And catch this. And so we are. Present tense. Present tense. And this is what I want us to do. This is the work that we need to dig in on this first piece. What a God-saturated, hope-filled identity looks like. What it looks like. And the, the theological term that comes up with this, it's a real world term for us, but the Bible uses this term, it's adoption. John is describing this, this biblical truth of adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God. And so often we just take that for granted. We take that as flowery language, or we reduce it to uh, what, how our world does this, how our world walks this out. And adoption is beautiful in this world. We have families here that have walked through adoption. We, we, we have that. Adoption is beautiful, and it is such a small picture of what the Bible is talking about. And so our text says, see. See it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. It calls us children of God. It's this child of God reality that has gripped John all of these years. It's this identity that has transformed his life. It's changed every aspect of his life. This identity of child of God, and it's the reality he is experiencing in his old age in the fullness of that time. And it's the reality that John is experiencing right now in eternity. In, chapter, in verse 1 says, we are. It's not just in his, John's head, and it's not just a, a happy thought that John has. It's actually a theme throughout the New Testament. And I'll just give you one example. Romans 8, verse 14 and 15 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of what? Of adoption as sons. 
that's amazing. And don't get caught up in like the, the language of, oh, he's just speaking to two guys. That's that, that not how this goes. Hear this from a, a fantastic book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Here's what he says. If you want to judge how well, a person, how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. And having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Like this reality is so central to what it means to be a Christian is that you're more than the sum of your parts. You're more than you think you are. You're actually adopted into the family of God, not because you deserve it, but because God is glorious. But does this, is this how you experience a Tuesday? Is this how you experience a normal day in your week? And that, that question and questions like that help us spot our, our second turn here, it helps us to get our minds around where we look to other things, where we look to other things to find our identity, and why those other things will always fail us, will always fail us. Here's the second part of verse 1. It says this, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him, him Jesus. See, John's not concerned about his fame. He's not concerned about like, oh, people don't know my name or any of these things. The us in here is like uh, the family of God. Why, why do they not recognize the family of God? Because it, they did not know him. And this is where uh, I both want to cautiously uh, but firmly kind of crawl in your lap today. Like the, the biblical doctrine of adoption only makes sense when we remember that everything about it is bonkers. Everything about it is just like, is, is wild. We're not naturally God's children. Now, the reality is that God is creator of all. He's king of kings. He's over all. But the Bible makes that, it takes it from just a coloring page to reality. And that we're not naturally God's children. Being a child of God is, is not a universal status upon us. It's just like when we enter and we're born in a hospital or wherever. It's a supernatural gift. It's a supernatural gift of one who receives, one receives by believing in Jesus. Adoption is holy, like WH. It's like completely and totally an act of God's love. And Jesus himself makes this clear. Again, I'll just go to one spot, but John 8 says something shocking. It says this. John 8 says, Jesus said to them, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I'm, and I'm here I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? 
It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. In verse 47, he says, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And, and as we talk about this, I, I need you to hear the words of Jesus. Like Jesus is speaking to people who were coming with all their religious credentialing. They were coming with all of their religious actions. They were coming with all sorts of, of like a resume, a religious resume. They're like, this, this says something. And Jesus is like, all that stuff is not the case. And what we need to hear is Jesus is saying to some of them, he's saying like, you do not know God. Just attending church just avoiding certain visible sins does not mean that you know God, that he is your father. And some of us need to, to stop playing games with ourselves and, and stop acting like, well, if I just go enough, if I just clean up my act enough, then I'm going to be all right and God's going to weigh out the scales. That is not biblical faith. And there are others of us that, that do know God, and he is our father, and yet we're just playing games with it. And, and maybe you've been thinking like, well, I've tried religions, I've tried all this, and I'm, I'm kind of weighing all my options and stuff. But like, the reality is something different. The reality is something different. I love how one author puts it. God easily... God easily and eagerly forgives our weaknesses. Eagerly and easily forgives our weaknesses. Only when we pretend to be sinners and pretend to be forgiven does the spiritual life become a charade of pseudo-repentance and pseudo-bliss. And maybe, maybe you've like gone to camp or gone to all sorts of church things. Maybe you've been coming here for a while and you're like, wait, I don't experience this joy. I don't experience like what this is at all. It feels like a chore and stuff. And my friends, like, like God is eager to forgive. He's eager to meet us. He's eager to change everything. He's eager to be at work. He's eager to be your father. And, and I'm afraid that so often what we do is we go through the motions and we go through all this without actually placing our faith and trust in him. And why? Because we, we, we actually carry all these other identities. We actually hear the voice of the father of lies. We actually believe those lies. We hear those all the time. And even in this world, the father of lies is loud in our head. And have you believe anything but God? We're, we're constantly, we're constantly receiving just like poisonous messages about who we are and, and who we should be from nearly everywhere. We're constantly receiving these just poisonous messages and we're drinking it down. We drink it down. And even in Christian culture, even Christian culture, and, and oftentimes churches can confuse by giving self-help 
or therapeutic messages instead of the person and work of Jesus. That Jesus saves. This isn't just a, a, a clean up your life. This isn't like six steps to a happier, healthier life. Like Jesus changes everything. And it's only through that in which we recognize it. And so with, with no real center to build an identity around, we find that all these competing messages moving us, they just move us towards like personal fragmentation. And because we're, we're now so unsure about our identities, we're, we're bouncing off of it. We play games of creating and acting out identities. We play all sorts of games. In the absence of a foundation or, or in the presence of, of just a shaky foundation that has no meaning, no hope, life's become a never-ending quest just to like, well, I guess I'll find my identity if I just find like happiness, if I just find like my stuff. So we end up just pursuing pleasure and experience. It, it, we go through life as if it's an amusement park where you go and you're like, man, I love roller coasters. I love to be on the ride. And you do that and you're like, this is awesome. This is how it is. This is, this is what I am. And then as soon as you get off that experience, it's on to the next one. Like, get me in there. Get me to the next one. And that's how so many of us live our lives, chasing pleasure, chasing experience. Instead of, instead of being good, people want to feel good. And when people don't feel good, they believe something is wrong in their lives. It's all circumstantial. So let me give you an example. Let me, let me give you an example here. The Bible describes marriage. The Bible describes marriage in a certain way, and we'll get into this as we walk into Genesis. The Bible gives us some things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bullet point this real fast for you. It says, God gave Adam, gave Adam Eve. And so what starts at the beginning of this is like, here's a gift from God in this spouse. Here's a gift from God. It says that he turned to her. It says he, he turned to her and received this gift from God. We received it. Here's this point. He received this. And then it says that they covenanted together. And it doesn't use specifically that language, but we get where you may have heard this at weddings and not known where it comes from, like leaving and cleaving. This, this covenanting to one another. We're in this new spot now. And then you have the, the biblical account is you have this description of the two become one. The two become one. And not to go too far into this, but here is uh, the, the physical act of this. Think about how our world approaches it. Our world approaches it. And we can, we can actually make sense out of a lot of this, right? Because our world approaches it starting with the hookup. And we start with the pleasure, and we start with this, this hookup, and, and then it's like, man, this person is like, somebody I want to do life with. And so then it's like, maybe we should live together. Maybe we should, come, maybe we should do more than just have our bodies come together. Maybe we should live together. And then it's like, maybe I want to commit myself to you. I want to commit myself to you. And listen, I'm not mocking this. I'm saying this is out of an identity and a worldview that starts with just like, how do I feel about all of this? 
And, and, and then we get to this, like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll marry you and actually make a commitment to you. But even in the best of circumstances, when you reverse the order and you start at a different place, you do not get that this is actually a gift from God. You can't possibly get there. And we do this not just with marriage. We do this with all sorts of things. We do this with our identity. We do this with with our life. We do this all over the place. Maybe you let others tell you who you are. Maybe you had a, 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 I'll put this in a, a, a specific thing. Maybe you have a coach who said something that you still hear in your words today. Maybe you had a teacher who said something that was so deeply wounding or encouraging, and that's who you are. That's who you think you are now. Maybe it's friends. Your friends have told you, you're this. And maybe you'd fill in the blank, I am this. Now we're, talk- now we're using the language of identity, aren't we? I am this. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's enemies who have said things about you. And you carry that. Maybe it's your spouse who who said, well, you're this, good or bad. You are. Maybe it's social media. Oh, talk about poisonous. Or circumstances, or accomplishments, or failures, or or reverse it. It's not always other people's voices. Maybe it's you trying to tell others, "I'm this," like I'm my job. I'm, I'm, I'm my job. This is my job. This is who I am. This is my identity. What happens when your job changes? What we see now is like, I'm my hobby. I'm my hobby. I do this. I go in, not me personally, I'm role-playing here. I go in, uh, I I ride bikes. I'm my hobby. I go in in spandex and clickety shoes into whatever restaurant or coffee shop or any of these things. It's like, I'm this. Everybody know this. This is my identity. I am this. You see this all over the place. It's, It's all so... Simple and innocent and until it starts becoming what we believe. It's the voice that we believe. I'm my gender. I'm my sexuality. I am my, my wish. Sometimes it's projection, right? I wish I was this. And we live out of these things. Well, what happens? Are we more than those things? And what happens on the dark day? And let me, t- let me just tell you, uh, I think what's actually the most real for most of us is we have no idea what our identity is. We're projecting and we're receiving. And both of those are, are such poisonous drinks. They're pretty looking poisons in which we drink down. It looks good in the glass, but only leads to fragmented lives, lost joy, and friends, eternal death. Each one of us, you, me, each one of us, at a profoundly deep level, no matter what condition you came in here today, is being called home by God to our true selves. 
to our true family, to true hope, to true life, to true freedom. And our text says it. It says this. It starts literally with this. It says, see. See it. See the very word of God speaks to you today. It's the very word of God speaking to you today. It says, see what kind of love the Father has for you. What kind of love the Father has for you. And so let's turn here to this third kind of act, how God invites you to a better story. Because it is just poison, either receiving an identity from all sorts of other voices in our life. Those voices that that are essentially the, the lies, the father of lies speaking into us. And to hear a better voice, to see what kind of love God has given us. Here's what he says in verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. Whatever else you would say about yourself, whatever failure you feel like you're bringing in, whatever confusion, and all of us have confusion, all of us have pain, all of us have areas where which we're like, I am a mess right here. We are God's children now. And hear this, what we will be has not yet appeared. And so to every, every soul doubting, every soul doubting, to every whole heart wondering if it's only like a name that we take on. If it's only just like happy thoughts are here, a label with no substance, so to speak. John reassuringly, John reassuringly declares, and that is what we are now. Now. It's the truest thing about you. If you are a follower of God, if you have been rescued by the love and work, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, this is who you are. Not, am I a good husband? Am I a good father? Am, am I successful in this? Have I provided? Have I done this? Am I whatever? It's now. But that is a massive if, friend. If you have been rescued by Jesus, if. And then it's like John can't control himself because God's not done. It's what we will be, too. It's what we will be. He goes on. The second part of verse 2 says, but we know, we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And here's hope, friends. Here's hope. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now, that's not to say you bring anything to this. That's not to say, like, your work here does this. It's, it's biblical language for, like, faith in Jesus, 
for trusting and believing in Jesus. He who trusts and believes in Jesus, it, by God's finished work on the cross, nailing your sin, my sin, to the cross, is purified before God in this. Children adopted into it. Again, let me return to Packer's book, Knowing God, as he explains what this looks like and how this plays out. Adoption was a practice ordinarily confined to the the childless well-to-do. Its subjects, those who would be adopted, were not normally infants as today, but young adults who had shown themselves fit and able to carry on a family name in a worthy way. Now catch that. Catch that. Because it's important as we move forward. In this case, however, God adopts us out of free love, not because our character and records show us worthy to bear his name. But despite the fact that they show the very opposite, we are not fit for a place in God's family. The idea of his loving and exalting us sinners as he loves and has exalted the Lord Jesus sounds ludicrous and wild. Yet that and nothing less than that is what our adoption means. That, that you and I are not worthy of carrying the name, and yet that is the good news. That is the hope that we have in Jesus. That is the one that maybe you've never quite understood, whether you've been to church a million years or you haven't. Maybe this is your first time or you've been here a lot of times. Have you caught that you do not deserve this? It is all God, and he names an identity over you that is unchanging. It is unchanging. It's where we find hope in this story. It's where we find this. It's why this is not 10 pages. It's why it's all of these pages and all these stories written in all these different ways. It's why all of this matters to us. Every word of scripture matters because it helps us uh, understand and unfold all of it. So let me just... Say, how can you walk this out today? Well, first and foremost is directly out of the text. See it. See it for what it is. See it for what it is. If you are finding your identity and your accomplishments and what people say about you and even how you feel on the inside, if you're finding your identity, rather, if you're finding your identity in in something other than, than the voice of God the Father, You're finding that in something that is ultimately poisonous. If you find your identity in, in, in just whatever kind of confidence you can muster on that day, the fake it till you make it mentality. You're drinking that poison. And so I, I would say, see. See what kind of love this father has for you. See. And then remind 
remind your heart because we're forgetful people, right? Uh, oftentimes, the voice of the accuser is so much louder than the voice of God the Father in my life. I've had times in my car, I remember vividly uh, parking and getting out of my car and stopping and saying, like, no, that is the voice of the liar and not the voice of my father. We have to remind ourselves this. We have to practice this. We have to remind it. We have to put it into practice daily that I, I am living out of this identity. God, help me to live out of this identity. Now, Hear this, this, in reality, in practicing, isn't that as, as these guys come and say, hey, guess what, Chad, you can do better. You can do better. You, can, you should do this. You should think about it. And they speak correction into my life. Like, I hear that. I need that. I need people sharpening me. I need that. But the truest and loudest voice in my life is God the Father. And that's not something that's like, hey, guess what, I figured it all out. No, that's something that I have to remind my heart. And I have to practice every single day. And then let me just say a couple of gets. Let me just get several gets. We, we practice this not as solo acts, right? Because I am a forgetful person. And there's so many days where I'll come in and I'm like, ah, I'm a mess. Hear that? Even in a moment, I can come back to my identity as a mess. And I need people on my left and on my right, in front of me and behind me. I need people who are like, no, that's not the voice of your father in your life. And so let me, let me just say this. Get in a community group. I sat with two guys the other night uh, in which we're, we're doing that with one another. We sat on the porch, and we were speaking not just like, hey, I'm the sum of my parts, and, and isn't this awesome? No, it's that we need one another to help remind ourselves and practice this and live this out. And, and sometimes we need people to, to help us see what we don't see. Get in a community group. Get one of these identity counterformation guides, which is what we will be working through in those community groups over the next uh, couple months. We're going to be walking through this. Jump in with us in it. These are not disconnected things. Get in there. Have a part of that. Get back with us in Genesis because we're not just having some sort of happy felt board conversation of, only certain people of a certain age know what felt boards are, aren't they, in church? We're not just having happy thoughts about Genesis. All of this matters to who we are. Where have we come from? What is God doing? Be with us through Genesis. Come with us to our parenting workshop. Because if there's ever a spot that will beat up your identity, it's raising kids. Hey, will you pray with me?